Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our guest today is George Valiotis. He is the founder and CEO of Pace Glass. And, you know, we've done a lot of shows on Go Green Radio about a variety of topics that have to do with recycling. But today we're going to be getting down into the details of one of the best materials that we can recycle, and that's glass. And surprisingly, we're not recycling a lot of it. So we're going to dig into the details with one of the most innovative innovative CEOs in the field, George Valiotis. Welcome to Go Green Radio, George. So glad to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, congratulations on breaking ground on your new facility in New Jersey. I'd love for you to talk to us about some of the key features that that new facility will include. What's going to make that facility state-of-the-art? So uh, that facility is uh, one of the largest um, in the world in, um, in output. Uh, so we're estimated to produce um, close to 800,000 tons of recycled glass material from that plant annually. And it's, on, and it's situated on uh, roughly 100 acres. And, uh, and, and the radius uh, to collect garbage or recyclables from different areas is close to 200, which puts us in line with several states. So um, we see ourselves as a uh, um, solution to the Northeast uh, recycling market. Right. And and what kind of technology do you guys plan on having at the facility that maybe makes it a step above some of the other facilities that recycle glass? Well, our facility is um, it's engineered to uh, handle MRF glass. So MRF glass is um, the byproduct of other recycling operations. And by doing so, uh, this, I mean, this material is often too contaminated to be recycled and often la- landfilled. At a, at a high cost uh, for everyone involved in. And um, Pace Glass has, has found a way to uh, actually use that material as our feedstock and pull out uh, valuable cullet and, um, and actually optically sort the glass uh, in, in white, amber, and green, which uh, are then re, uh, remelted back into uh, bottles, which is uh, it's critical in um, preserving natural resources such as sand, uh, limestone and other ingredients that have to go into glass. You know, you mentioned optic scanners, and that's something that a lot of our listeners don't know anything about. So I'd love for you to explain what those optic uh, opti- scanners do. Optical sorters uh, take uh, close to you know a thousand to five thousand pictures every second, and their job are they pretty much shine a light onto the glass material, mixed glass. And uh, depending on what the feedback is from the reflection of the material, uh, they'll uh, reject it back into a pile. So it's, it's more so to say the brains of the operation, um, but uh, that's how we're sorting the colors from mixed garbage. And, uh, and it sorts at a very, very fast pace that makes it uh, commercially successful. That is fantastic. Now, you know, for those of us who really don't understand the glass recycling business, why is it so critical to separate those different colors of, of glass uh, from one another and not just send all the various colors together uh, in a mixed colored batch? When large companies uh, 
like uh, you know, Owens, Illinois, Sardar, Anchor Glass, uh, make new bottles. Uh, they really need uh, a single color as if to maintain the same consistency in the new product. So, um, you know, if we give them a batch of uh, white glass that has 10% green, um, you know, it, it, would, it would create a, a different product. So uh, they, you know, they're very stringent on their requirements, and uh, they, they, you know, there's a, there's very strict requirements on the color that you can sell to them, and color is a big, uh, is a big one. So the, the three main colors are white, amber, and green, and uh, you know, luckily there's enough markets in the U.S. to sell each one of them, and uh, some odd odd colors like blue and some other items usually get sorted in with the the amber, but um, more or less, you know, the colors are uh, are of strict, strict requirements. Now, help us understand the business case for this, George, because, you know, I'm sure that you have a good heart and you want to recycle glass to save natural resources, but it's also a good business move. Help us understand why that's true. Um, recycling has had its, its, its problems uh, over the past couple of years, which uh, have, you know, it's, it's definitely like commodity prices are down. Uh, China has uh, stopped taking in uh, a lot of various grades of recyclables, uh, which has really hampered the market. But glass is a very unique product in that uh, it's probably been around the same price for the last 30 years. Uh, and considering inflation and all else, uh, that's you know it's, uh, it's it's a relatively safe product. Uh, it's a commodity that uh, you know the price has been stagnant, but uh, the biggest problem is the supply has been very limited. Uh, the, the supply of cullet, uh by by taking pure cullet from uh, what's landfilled now, um, we're adding cullet to the market instead of uh, you know competing with other companies for existing glass that's uh, already clean and separated. So we're 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 actually increasing the volume that's sold in the U.S. and then that's just a, a net benefit for everyone involved. Absolutely. Now, I, I know that you know glass recycling is nothing new, and there are some business models out there that are kind of outdated. Talk to us about some of the inefficiencies that exist in the glass recycling industry. Uh, there are look. There are very good companies. You know, I, you know, we have, we want to give respect to all the companies that are out there actually recycling glass. There are not many. Uh, it's been dominated by uh, hand. Uh, you know, a few companies, and uh, it's just that, uh, you know, uh, it's, 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 there are different models, there's different ways of getting glass recycling. I mean, uh, a lot of companies work with distributors in bottle redemption programs at states, with states, uh, and that's considered clean glass, and that's processed right now. Uh, but our model is to go for the really dirty feedstock, the material that often gets landfilled, and that's, that, that's what we're going for, and uh, that's, that's that's uh, there's a you know a big demand for uh, there's a big availability of this material throughout the country, and uh, towns are more than willing to work with us on actually um, recycling this material. And and talk to us about how you're able to do that. I mean, you know, if if we're talking about feedstock of glass that's going to the landfill right now, how do you guys capture that? What's different about paste glass? Uh, what's different is, uh, look, there, there's a lot of optical sorters in the market and there's a lot of companies doing it. Like I said, uh, what's different about us is that, look, nothing is, it's, it's really just putting the network together and the operation and, uh, and the, and the floor plan together, uh, properly to be able to, to do this in a large scale. 
a lot of companies try it and fail. I don't know why we're, you know, we do it so well, but I think we have a very good, you know, we have a very good team and we're very open-minded and we look past uh, industry obstacles or, uh, you know, the normal way of doing things. And we've solved a lot of the problems in this industry relatively quickly because we did take an outsider's approach, but, you know, we have a very good team. We're very confident in what we, what we do. And, uh, and this plant is uh, world-class design and, uh, yeah, we hope to replicate it in many other states very soon. That's awesome. Now, you know, you mentioned China a moment ago, and uh, and, and there are a lot of recycling facilities in the U.S. that are having some difficulty accepting glass. And, you know, some of our listeners have heard about National Sword. They've heard a little bit about what's going on with China. But what's going on that's making it difficult for some recycling facilities in the U.S. to accept glass? Uh, glass is, uh, for some odd reason, always known as a contaminant and always, uh, you know, was the gripe of, of recycling and, and, and always mentioned as a big problem. Um, like the problem is it, it is very difficult. Uh, once glass, I mean, glass is, uh, it's a fragile product, so I'm more fragile than obviously plastic or metals. So glass gets broken relatively quickly during the collection process. And, uh, and what's left over is, probably 50% mixed glass or maybe 30% mixed glass. And then the rest of it is other recyclables or other, you know, bits and pieces that kind of got through organic waste. So, um, you know, in essence, we're, you know, we're taking a bit of a gamble on using that as a feedstock. I mean, not all feedstock is the same, not a, you know, the byproduct it varies from, from, from plant to plant. Uh, but, um, we are, um, yeah, our main, our main focus is recovering lost color. That's how we look at it. You know, that's, that's, you know, material that should have been recycled a little bit better. You know, it probably should have ended up in the glass bin. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I know here in the Northeast, I can speak more firsthand because I grew up here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people and a lot going on. And, uh, it's you know, people's uh, recycling habits are not keeping up. It's very difficult to. But, you know, and, and, you know, what we consider clean glass is usually, you know, what comes from distributors, what comes from bars and, and small companies that do collect that. Uh, usually sell that uh, as, a, as a commodity in the market. So how do you guys do business differently than other recyclers? I mean, you said that you come at it from an outsider's approach. Um, you know, how uh, how disruptive is your business model? How do you do things differently? Well, um, so our, our major competitor has roughly, you know, 40 plus plants in the U.S. Uh, and we have a very nice plant in Jersey City. Uh, we're very proud of that. Uh, but what we're building in, in Andover is uh, 250,000 square feet. That it ha- it'll, it'll produce more than half of those plants that they have. So we're producing a lot more glass from, from one location. Uh, that's, you know, less people to oversee it. Uh, you know, we have very good shifts here. Uh, and we're also located in the Northeast where there's a, a large availability of glass. And we can hit those volumes. I mean, we, that's, you know, and we're also utilizing, uh, all the logistics, uh, like logistics, like railroad, uh, barging, um, intermodal, uh, trucking, and we're synchronizing those things to, to offer the best benefit to our consumers. And, uh, glass is a commodity that's not a very, you know, there's a command of very high price, like metals or other ones. So, you know, getting it further away is, is, is you have to be clever and you have to really, cost cut or the whole way or it won't be possible yeah and and when you talk about partnerships with um 
you know, facilities or uh, maybe even private companies that can give you some feedstock like hotels, bars, that kind of thing. How do you how do you work and collaborate with uh, a various, you know, various stakeholder groups in order to ensure that you're getting enough material to your facility to make it uh, viable? Well, uh, we we have uh, we have the capabilities to handle uh, MRF glass, and and we have the capabilities to handle clean glass. So I think we're hedged against that. Uh, you know, the the hotels and the restaurants—that's more of a limited market, and there's a lot of competition in that market. Uh, but we take that material as well. Uh, but we also handle you know dirty material from recycling operations that there is no other plant in the U.S. that can handle that. So in terms of getting sales, it's, it's not that difficult when, you know, your business model is to have your customers just send you a picture of what they have. And, you know, we can shoot back a quote within, you know, a few hours of what that material costs for us and we can pick it up. I mean, uh, as of recently, we've, we've gotten a lot of interest from even Canada and, and, and various municipalities that all, you know, re- recycle and, uh, you know, have, have material that actually used to get landfilled or, or used to get sold to a glass recycler or not anymore. But uh, we, we do things differently. I mean, we control our logistics. Everything is in-house. Um, we work very closely with our customers. We work very closely with our suppliers. And we, we try to add a level of uh, professionalism to recycling that uh, we think is a nice, refreshing approach. Fantastic, George. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with George Valiotis, CEO of Pace Glass. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. 
In case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is George Valiotis. He's the founder and CEO of Pace Glass, and they are about to open the largest glass recycling facility in the world. And they're locating this facility in the New Jersey area, um, and it's pretty exciting. They're using 21st century technology to make the most out of what would otherwise be wasted glass that can be recycled over and over again. So it's a really innovative technology solving a problem uh, you know, that outdated business models uh, in the glass recycling industry just necess- weren't necessarily able to um, address. Now, George, for those of our listeners, and it's most of them, who have never been to a MRF, they've never seen how things get sorted, help us mm-hmm. visualize what happens to glass from the time that we put it in our recycling bin to the time that it's used to create a new product. Walk us through the process as if our glass were headed for your facility. Uh, so glass is uh, recycling in in the U.S. is generally dominated by a, a single stream operation or most you know blue one blue bin and separating paper. So unfortunately, that puts glass, metal cans, and plastic together, and unfortunately, glass breaks relatively early on to this operation. So by the time it gets to the recycling yard, it's already in pieces and mixed in with everything else. Uh, modern MRFs or recycling yards are it's it's a, it's a list of conveyor belts. Uh, uh, power screens, uh, mechanical screens, um, uh, machines that detect for metal to pull it out. Um, every, everything, the main job is to pull out a material and make the material cleaner as it passes through. Um, and, uh, yeah, the better the setup, the better the operation, the better the recovery rates are. Uh, but what's left over after is considered garbage and often landfilled and, and, and Pace Glass has offered a solution to that, and we've been very well received so far by cities and so, municipalities. So when you guys get the glass, is it before it's been to a MRF, after it's been to a MRF, or after. do you guys actually run them? Okay, so after it's gone through a MRF. After, yes, after, okay. after, after, um, and, and it's usually in very small pieces, fragments mixed with a lot of other items uh, that we and, consider organics and, and various okay. waste. Um, and when we process, we have a dryer and we burn off the papers and the various things that can burn off. Um, and we do, we do the best. We also use, you know, power screens and mechanical screens. We use a lot of the same equipment, conveyor belts, uh, bucket elevators. Uh, those are all items, you know, so it's, it's more or less very similar to a MRF. But, uh, you know, our job is to get the material as clean as possible before it hits our optical sorters. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's the, you know, the better that you do that, the more that you produce. And that's a good thing for the market. So it hits the optical sorters. Then what happens? After the optical sorters hit, then each optical sorter has a job. Uh, so the first two would maybe be looking for flint glass, and others would be looking for uh, stones or contaminants or ceramic. Ceramic is actually a big problem in the glass industry. It's actually something that does not burn. So if uh, ceramic gets into the batch, uh, it, it could actually cause uh, harm to the product uh, or to the consumer. And uh, so that's one thing that, you know, you have one looking for stones and then the other one looks for various other colors. So by doing it in the right way, you can you know, effectively sort it by color uh, and uh, make sure it's as clean as possible for our customers. Gotcha. So then everything's sorted by color. And then what happens to those materials? Uh, once it's sorted by color, uh, it's, uh, it's then, uh, it's then uh, brought back to our yard uh, where, it's, you know, it gets sent out via truck or railroad to the consumer. And the, our consumer, our clients are big bottle manufacturing companies that make bottles and 
And that's uh, it's a kind of a closed loop where they're, they're always they're, you know, there's a, uh, a closed market on cullet, and uh, they prefer to use more cullet than they do sourcing various other ingredients to make glass. Gotcha. Now here's a here's a question for you: Are there mm-hmm. types of glass that cannot be readily recycled? Yeah. Yes. There's a, there's a few of them. Uh, tempered glass is relatively difficult. Uh, temper glasses like a Pyrex or uh, those things that are made for the oven, uh, those are not recycled easily. Um, uh, everything else, uh, I mean, ceramic is, is is not really considered glass ceramic, but that's often found in the in the feedstock. Uh, plate glass is recyclable. What's on buildings is recyclable. Uh, windshields are recyclable. Uh, bottles and anything that's found in the supermarket are recyclable. Uh, anything that you buy in a store is, is from a supermarket is glass is recyclable, uh, or alcoholic beverages. So that's, uh, you know, the, the, the big, the big no-nos are, are Pyrex and, uh, and ceramic somehow and mugs and, and plates you usually get in there. And, uh, it's definitely one of the most popular ones that we look out for. And so is there any other use for those items? Uh, you know, how, how do they get handled at your facility? Uh, those items would be rejected as uh, as waste, and then we uh, we work on, on on getting those things into other markets. So ceramic itself could be grinded down and sold to companies to remake tiles. Um, Pyrex, I'm not sure what we do with Pyrex. To be honest with you, uh, I don't think we find in that you know such large quantities. But mm-hmm. um, there's a value in, in in everything that that we see. In our stream, and we're getting, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a lot, a lot, there's a lot of value in recyclables, and I know it's not uh, the best market to be in right now for a lot of other people, but uh, if there's a way to make it work for towns and municipalities, there's a lot of value there for everyone involved. Uh, there's a lot of good material in there, um, and uh, you know, 90% of what we see is usually good glass, and and, and it's there's a big demand for it. That's awesome. Now, we had a recent episode of Go Green Radio where we discussed a a fairly new study. And that study shows that a growing percentage of millennials don't recycle, even though they've grown up being told, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. They don't do it because they don't think it really makes a difference. So, you know, when it comes to glass, what's your message? What would you say to those millennials? Uh, I would say... um you don't have to know where it is, but recycling is, I would say, you know, that's, you know, 80% of what we throw away in the black garbage or solid waste should be recyclable. I think it's just foolish to throw away uh, good material and then, you know, support environmental causes that are more in trend or in vogue, um, opposed to actually doing something about it. If that's the simplest, recycling is the simplest thing that you can do for the environment and it just involves a little bit more attention before you throw something away and you'd be surprised to see how much how many things are recyclable and it's not that difficult i i, I think that's a terrible trend i mean i'm a millennial myself but i am also in this business so i might i'm obviously biased but you know I, i'd like to see those numbers change i i don't you know i know that my generation is very big on the environment and as we should be and uh you know not being for recycling doesn't make sense and uh recycling rates should go up on on all ends but right now in this market you know people should recycle more and i think that companies should find better uses and more domestic consumers for the recyclables so there's a lot to in our the blame is not all on the consumer but you know i think uh both businesses and consumers have to make a mindful effort that recycling is very vital to our business and to, to big industries and they rely on it 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, help us understand the carbon footprint of glass versus other materials. You know, the, the, I've seen studies on, you know, both sides of the aisle, but, you know, I, I think that folks in your industry would say that the overall life cycle analysis of the carbon footprint of glass is actually um, a little bit better than some other materials. Talk to us about that. Um, well, using glass products opposed to uh, obviously plastic and other, uh, and other items obviously have a better benefit. Um, when making glass, if uh, if if you, every ten percent of glass recycle of glass color that's used in a furnace, um, bottle manufacturers are able to reduce five percent of their energy costs. So that's that's the direct uh, you know carbon footprint of using you know the, the difference of using more glass color opposed to not having it. Now versus plastic, I mean plastic it's a very you know ubiquitous product it's everywhere, uh, but it's also very problematic. It's in our oceans. It doesn't break down, um, and I think that. Uh, I think a lot of consumers are going to push for uh, more products to be in glass. I think uh, glass offers a, a certain luxury appeal or a, a more sort of say like a, a finer product in it. Uh, looks more expensive, um, and I think that um, with uh, enough color in the furnace and consumers taste a certain way, maybe we can see more glass um, in our supermarkets. I think that's I think it's a lot better than plastic or, or any other item. Well, and one of the things that's pretty cool about glass is that it can be made into a brand new glass container. Whereas, you know, I know a lot of people realize that when you recycle plastic, in many cases, it's quote unquote downcycled. You know, it's made into some lesser grade. Like if you have a a food or beverage plastic container and it's recycled, a lot of times it can't be made into another food grade you know, uh, container or packaging, whereas glass can be cleaned such that it can be made into just as high a quality end product. Is that, is that pretty much correct? Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a closed loop. I, I, it's a closed loop and, uh, there's enough glass in, in the, in the market, then these companies can really just keep making bottles over and over again without any, you know, any, any lesser, you know, lesser amount of the value of the damage or anything. It's, it's 100% the same. Um, and that's why it's a very appealing market to, to me as a business yeah. owner and someone that's, uh, you know, uh, environmentally conscious. You know, in the past couple of decades, a lot of companies that, you know, years ago used to package their products in glass moved to plastic because it was lighter and that made it less costly to ship. How has the glass industry responded to that need for a lighter material? That's, uh, I think glass is, uh, there's, uh, we, and there's certain, I mean, obviously there's alcohol, alcoholic products and, uh, there's, there's various products that can never go plastic, but I, I think that the market is very robust as it is. So, uh, I know that I say on a positive note, like it would be nice to see some conversion from plastic to glass, but, uh, you know, beer and alcohol and all these other items, a lot of, there's a lot of glass being produced. So it's a generally, it's a, the market is not, not, not so bad and the sales are good. Uh, but, uh, again, that's something that, uh, it's always going to get in the way of, of, uh, imported uh, products. But then again, a lot of our beer is imported, and then you know, it's also sent over here from overseas as well. So, uh, I mean, I think that's something that won't change. I mean, the weight difference won't change, and the comparison won't change, and shipping is what it is. But uh, at the end of the day, we, uh, you know, we work off our domestic demand, and uh, it's a, more of the market. 
Yeah, and I've actually read that, you know, there are some manufacturers, you know, of glass containers that are are looking to make their containers lighter and looking for ways to shave off some of that differential and uh, change between uh, a glass container and a plastic one. I mean, I don't think that they'll get to be completely comparable, but I know that that is something that the glass industry is is looking for. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we uh, come back, we've got much more with uh, George and his COO, Michael Mahoney, and we're going to be talking more about glass recycling. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Today, we're talking about glass recycling. And what's really cool about glass is that it can be recycled into the same quality um, that it started as. In other words, it's not downcycled. When we recycle a glass bottle or a glass jar, it can be made into a brand new uh, item of the same quality, which sets it apart from other recyclable materials, many of which either can only be recycled so many times before they've just degraded to the point where they can't be recycled anymore, or they get downcycled until they ultimately end up in the landfill. That doesn't need to happen with glass. And today we're talking with Pace Glass. We just had the the founder and CEO on with us, uh, George Valiotis. But now we have his COO, Michael Mahoney. And we're going to keep talking about the virtues of using glass and glass recycling and why it's so important. Um, Bottom line is we want to encourage all of you to recycle your glass. Now, Michael, many consumers are concerned about the health impacts that plastic food packaging might contain. In other words, uh, things that we hear about like BPA and endocrine disruptors and things that maybe we don't want our food 
food or our beverages to be packaged in. Should we be similarly concerned about the health implications of using glass? Glass is a, has a different chemistry makeup uh, within it, and uh, it's an encasement case of meaning that all the products that are in glass are encased when it becomes a solid item. So, I mean, the glass industry is a thousand-year-old industry which has been uh, made and reused on multiple occasions, and I don't think there's any real health implications with glass. Well, and and I think that by this time, because it's such a uh, you know, like you said, it's been around for so long, we would know it. And the, you know, the FDA and the USDA, yeah, they, they've, you know, really been um, super neutral when it comes to glass. I mean, that we haven't seen the kind of health advisories that we have with other uh, newer forms of food packaging. Now, let's talk about contamination a little bit. What happens if glass becomes too contaminated to be recycled into a new food or beverage container? Is there still a use for that material besides being sent to a landfill? Well, you know, the funny the funny thing is, I suppose, being in America and, and, and dealing with the glass industry here, the single stream recycling has drove it to be contaminated and um, which makes it more difficult to, to clean up, but not impossible to clean up. So the answer to your question really is that uh, it never will be get in a situation that it's too contaminated that it can't be cleaned up. The technology is available today, and with the right uh, engineering and the right build-out, you can actually clean whatever glass is contaminated. So the answer to the question is it really will never get that contaminated that you can't clean it to a point where it can be reused again. Are you guys unique in being able to clean it that way? I mean, is that what you're doing with it so that it doesn't have to be discarded uh, kind of fresh and new in the industry? You know, it's, 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 that's, that's a funny situation. We're absolutely not uh, reinventing the wheel here. This has been available. <laughs> it's in the United States. There is other companies that are doing this. They might not have the technology we have. I mean, obviously, the fact that I, was, uh, I speak with an Irish accent, I come from Europe, <laughs> I, I'm very aware of the equipment and been in the business before that uh, we can get the engineer and that can clean this up to a point that uh, it really can be reused on a consistent basis again. Well, and, you know, since you are from Europe, uh, one of the things that I, I believe, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that has made Europe so progressive when it comes to recycling is just simply not having as much space for landfills, whereas the U.S. Um, for quite some time you know, if we fill the landfill up, we built another one. And now we're starting to be pressed for, you know, using our land more smartly mm. and, you know, for, for better uses. And I think we're going to have to move in that direction. But, you know, do you feel like, especially what you're seeing in the Northeast where, you know, landfills are closing and new ones are not opening, that that's putting more pressure on, uh, on people to, to do a better job with recycling? First of all, I think recycling is an absolutely phenomenal job. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to be part of it. And you're 100% right. I mean, the, Europe is not doing it any better than we are. I mean, this is the greatest country in the world. I can reassure you that the, what you just said about Europe is, is 100% correct. They just don't have the landmass that we have over here. And, and the tendency was to landfill material here in bulk scale, which now with the young millennials coming on, there's a lot of driving force to keep our country clean, tidy, healthy, and I think it's a great thing. So, yeah, 100%, what you did say about uh, the landmass in Europe is a problem, which is what, probably what, what drove the recycling industry quicker than it did on the East Coast or America as a whole. But we, we in America, in this great country that we have, when we catch on to something, we catch on great, and, and, and we're probably going to be one of the better ones at it, and we'll produce it a lot a lot, uh, lot better over the next 10 to 15 years. We'll catch up ex 
extremely quick, especially around the glass industry. I mean, it's an out-and-out problem, but there's a lot of people looking at it. We're one of them. And it's a market that can be can be turned into creating a lot of jobs and whatnot. But this is a very healthy thing for this country that we're getting away from landfills. I want you to help us understand the economics for glass manufacturers who are using recycled glass. When these glass manufacturers use recycled glass as part of their mix, how does that impact their cost? How does that impact their energy consumption? Well, let, let me try to break that down a little bit for you. Um, First of all, they can burn up to 95 to 98% of raw glass. So if we clean glass and separate it into colors, they can burn up to about 98% in their furnace, which is a massive reduction for them on consumption of gas to heat and melt because the glass will actually melt a lot quicker than, say, let's put a, a batch of sand together, a batch of limestone mixed together. To melt raw materials, the heat and the energy consumption to do that is five to six times more than what it is to just melt glass. So the savings is big for them, but not only for them, for the country. I mean, you cut down on carbon creation. I mean, it's a lot of benefits for the health of the, of the country overall to use recycled glass. And it's one of the industries that, look, the reality of it is if we can, we've got the material in the country, why are we digging it up? Why are we using raw materials? Use what's available on a consistent basis. And you, you mentioned earlier in, in, your, in your comment, glass is 100% recyclable. So, I mean, you put 1,000 ton into a furnace, you get 1,000 ton out. And you can repeat yes. that on a 24-hour basis and get it back on your shelf as a new bottle within in three months. That's one of the best ways to recycle. If the product can be doesn't break down like plastics do break down, they can't be recycled on multiple occasions. Glass can be recycled on multiple occasions and redone and a revolving door of three months is back in your shelf with food in it or a product in it. Mm-hmm. And and that makes glass and actually aluminum pretty unique. I mean, you know, uh, yes. a lot of people know that, you know, paper, once the fibers get cut so many times, it can't be recycled anymore. And, and other materials are like that as well. So that makes glass really unique. You know, I was reading the announcement, Michael, about your new facility that you're going to be opening up in New Jersey. And it mentioned that there's going to be some research and development going on there. And I'd love for you to share with us some of the research and development that Pace Glass will undertake at this new facility. Research and development as far as Pace Glass goes, we're looking at other models and other business opportunities that we can put glass into. So we're, instead of, uh, you know, the, the assumption has been out there in America in the Northeast for years, well, we can't get it into the container industry, let's grind it up and we'll use it as an aggregate. Why would you honestly put glass back into the ground? It doesn't make any sense to me. So we're looking at uh, the paint industry as fillers and different things like that there to try road beads as well, uh, to try and get other markets uh, outside of what we know is consistent market. Like the container market and the fiberglass industry is a solid market for, for glass. We just want to develop more markets as we, we go into it in a bigger way. What kind of partnerships are you going to need in order to do that? I mean, are you going to need university partnerships or, you know, uh, business partnerships? I mean, that's something that's difficult to achieve just as a standalone company. Well, R&D, obviously, we'll be talking to the universities and see if we could get them to get involved with us to, to actually chemically break this down and see what products we could use it in. And then from there, we build up business opportunities that we would have other outside investment come in to help us grow that business further down the line. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I like to highlight that, Michael, because a lot of our listeners for Go Green Radio are college students and young adults. And one of the things that I am asked quite often is, how do I make a living with a green job? What is a green job? You know, where can I where can I get involved with that? And my answer is there's just so many ways to plug in. I mean, what you're talking about is research and development in the material sciences. But then you're also talking about marketing and PR for actually, you know, bringing those uh, those products to market. And, and that's one of the things that I like to underscore for our listeners is that, you know, sustainability and making you know, a living in green collar jobs can cover such a broad spectrum of educational levels and types of work. And I, I think that what you guys are doing by including research and development at this new facility is really exciting. It is very exciting, and there's a lot of different industries out there that are aware of, like uh, in the filler industry, to try and get this product in there with the R&D. I mean, it's amazing that you say that because a lot of young kids that we, we you know, I've got four kids of my, four daughters of my own. They have boyfriends, and the boyfriends are asking me constantly, how do I get into this business? How do I get into doing something? And I said, listen, go down to, to New York City and watch what gets thrown out. Pick something and figure out how to, how to turn it back into what it is again. Use the product again. You know, that's the idea is you gotta, you got to look around, see what's been thrown out, what's been dumped, take the product, do some analysis on it, see what you can do with it again. And then get into that, the collection routes. Yeah. There's multiple different ways from education levels here to, to get involved. Like you said, sales, um, R&D. I mean, there's uh, so many jobs created for every ton of recycling that is, is recycled in this country. So it's job so creation alone is huge with, the, with the, this type of project. I think uh, we're scheduled for like a... 150 jobs total, maybe even higher up in the new, the new plant that we're building in, in uh, Andover. That's fantastic. And talk to us a little bit about the jobs that are created, like a project, you know, like the one that you They're, they're very specific there. jobs. You know, it's not like we just have a general labor and we're looking to pay low money. We're paying a fair rate of, rate of pay. It's a, it's a middle market uh, job, blue collar jobs that we want to give high salaries to, but they're people that will be with us for 40 years, not five years. We're looking for long-term employees that want to build, build their trade around uh, the recycling industry. One of the things I learned in, in the recycling industry, I'm also in the construction industry too, like my partner George and them. I mean, you have down cycles in, in development and, uh, and construction with recycling or anything around the uh, garbage industry is absolutely no downtime. This is consistent work seven days a week and you can mm-hmm. build a real career around it. I mean, love looking at things that, you know, we can put people to work and have great employees that actually stay with the company and, and build their career and actually want to retire with us. Oh, I love that. I love to hear that. That that makes a Well, listen, we're, we're in America. We've got to put people to work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Michael Mahoney and Pace Glass. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? 
Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Sylvata alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. If you're loving Go Green Radio, you're going to love the parent organization of this show. It's called the Go Green Initiative. It was founded by me, yours truly, in 2002, and it's the largest environmental education program globally. We work with schools to do two things. First of all, conserve natural resources for future generations, and secondly, to protect children's health from environmental pollutants. So if you want to check out that organization, Organization, get involved in the conversation, just visit our website at gogreeninitiative.org. Now, today we're talking about glass recycling. Very important because glass is something that should not be wasted. Um, and it's so easy to recycle. And Pace Glass is really setting the bar high um, with their process and their technology. Uh, right now we're talking with the COO of the company, Michael Mahoney. And, you know, Michael, one of the things that became gl- glaringly obvious when the Chinese imposed a national sword back in January is that the U.S. has a lack of recycling infrastructure. And I'd love for you to kind of look into your crystal ball. What do you see for the next five to 10 years in terms of domestic recycling infrastructure? I believe that uh, material shouldn't be going to another country. If we've got a material here that can be recycled, the facility should be built in America. And we should be allowed to do the recycling we need and to create other products from that, which creates nothing but jobs, I think is a good thing. I believe, if you want me to look into a crystal ball, I believe it's actually happening already. There's plenty of websites out there that will fill you in on on, uh, what facilities are being built to handle the plastics industry or the scrap plastics that have been going to China. Obviously, we're behind. Um, because the model seemed to be, well, let's load it into a container, bail it up, and send it over to China and let them deal with it. I think it was the wrong model. I think we're going to get onto it very, very quickly. I do believe there's plans being built to handle uh, plastics that were being sent to China. It might be two years out, but the crystal ball looks good because I think ultimately, in the end of the day, we'll build our own infrastructure here to handle our own, own materials and our own waste, and we'll turn it into something good, which will create jobs, pay taxes. It's, it's a benefit. It's a win-win for the whole country. It really is. And, and you know, when you guys are putting in a facility in Andover and other uh, plants, you know, go in into communities, um, it, it seems like it's really going to become an economic driver um, for communities that welcome facilities like yours and others. I mean, uh, what I'm sure the folks in Andover are really excited. Talk to us a little bit about what happens to a local economy when a plant goes in. 
Well, Andover had lost a lot of business over the last uh, five or six years due to, you know, bad economy and whatnot, and we approached them on uh, 87 acres parcel and asked them would we do this, and they were more than open. that They really wanted to attract business into the area. We're going to be a large company. We're building a large facility. Uh, They were more than open. Just to give you an idea, we went in front of the board. They approved it on the first night. It took us literally about a year to get to work through all the, all the details about how we're going to build the site out, how we're going to protect the ground, how we're going to protect the area and air while we do this. Uh, we, we're building a facility that they're really going to be proud of up there. Not only on top of that, uh, we're also bringing uh, close to 150 jobs to the area. That's fantastic. And these are these are not just flash in the pan jobs. Like, you know, we've we've had folks on from the fracking industry and, and some of those jobs last two or three years. I'm sure that some of the construction jobs to build the plant are like that, but I mean you're gonna have people operating that plant, you know, and these a lot of these will be permanent jobs, correct? These these are gonna be permanent jobs and one of the things is I think I mentioned earlier on there. You know, I, I love hiring people and saying to them, I hope you like to work because you're going to be working a lot here and you're going to make, make good money <laughs> here because the bottom line is this type of material never goes away. We produce it every day, so it has to be cleaned up every day. And the recycling rate in America, as far as last goes, is in the 30% region, which is so low, which gives multiple, multiple uh, levels of growth can happen within the company. So this is a job that you're going to come, come in, you're going to get trained, you're going to get uh, brought up to speed on it, and you're going to be with us for 40 years. It's not going to be something that you, you can leave if you want to do that. Obviously, yeah. some people like to move on to better things, and they start offices and then would like to move into better things. But we have so many different levels, like we talked about earlier in your show. You can literally start with us when you're 25 and retire when you're 50 or whenever you want to retire. That's the job great. will always be there. So they're that's long-term fantastic. jobs. That's where that's where really in, 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 in you know we have multiple. We have uh, George as a partner and his father as a partner here. Uh, they're very adamant about you know we got to keep things in this country. We got to make uh, jobs grow. We got to get uh, salaries up. Very very adamant about uh, making long t- long-term sustainability with any factory or building that we're building and put people to work on a long st- long-term scale. I love that. And that, that's that's just what we need to hear a lot more of. Now, here's one geographic question for you, Michael, because, you know, we have listeners from all over the U.S. and in other countries in the world. And, you know, they may know that the Northeast United States, where you're building your plant in New Jersey, is very densely populated. In fact, much more so than many area, other areas of the country. How does that, you know, population density <clears throat> impact your business model? And I guess the flip side of that question is, could a business model like yours operate effectively in a more sparsely populated area of America? Well, the answer to the tail end of the question is 100%. You can, you can build one of these factories. It's all about scale. This is a pretty large factory, so we need to be in, in a high-density area, which we are. And we know we're able to get enough material to operate at this profitably. If you go to Georgia or um, Florida, where there's a, a need for the, the same side of a type of plant, you can build a smaller plant to suit what the material is available and still be profitable with it. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Now, I know that logistics is a big part of your business and moving materials to and from your facilities is critical to your success. Talk to us about the logistics side of the business and the ways that you're working to make that as, as green as possible. Well, trucks are trucks, right? But I believe in the next five to six years, we're going to have battery-operated trucks. Um, we're going to have green trucks as such. Uh, we're all lo- looking at that very heavily. Right now, we've got diesel trucks, but we're going to convert them to gas. 
And whatever it takes to go green and more economically for us, which it is, is the way we're going. So ultimately, at the end of the day, battery trucks would probably be um, the quickest route to it. But whether we can get them in time, probably four to five years. But that ultimately would be the goal to get rid of diesel out of trucks completely. No pollutants coming from the truck at all. That's fantastic. And of course, I know you guys use rail, and that tends to be uh, have a lower energy profile. That's a that's a fairly absolutely. green form, yeah, of, of yeah, logistics. Absolutely. Most of our material on on once it's been processed and turned into a product, it will then go by rail um, mm-hmm. to multiple different states where these furnaces are. Uh, we're also looking at the at the water. I believe that um, Mississippi River is uh, the gateway to America, and and uh, it's not being used enough. And we feel very strongly about uh, barging, putting material in water. We're going to have broken uh, transportation, having to go to say Pittsburgh, get it onto water there, and get it down the river from there. But I believe that that's one of the better ways to, to move material in America. And it is, it is happening. There's probably about two, 300 million tons of material moving on the Mississippi and Ohio River uh, at the minute. And we just want to add to that. I think it's the most cleanest way to do it and, and uh, make it green. I love that. I actually grew up pretty close to St. Louis, and I saw the Gateway really? Arch many, many times. So I know all yeah. about moving yeah. th- stuff on the Mississippi, and I love to hear that. It's a, it's a good choice. Now, in the last 30 seconds or so that we have of the show, Michael, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners? What, what tips can you give us? What tips? I mean, uh, thank God I'm in America. Uh, I love this <laughs> country. Uh, let's go green. One of the things I would like to say is that... Uh, Understanding of, of what we're doing will lead into more understanding of the industry and more acceptance to having uh, recycling plants in, in uh, local neighborhoods um, to build up the recycling growth through, through the United States. It's a great country. We can do a lot here. We should get on with it. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much, Michael. And please uh, thank George again for being with us. And congratulations to Pace Glass for all of your achievements and accomplishments in this new plant that you're going to be building. It's great having you with us. Great having all of our listeners with us as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.